Well, let's turn in our Old Testament to the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at Psalm 8 this morning, and I, I'm going I'm to read the whole psalm, all nine verses, and, um, and then with God's help, we'll be, we'll be nourished. Psalm 8, to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Surely everyone in this room has many, many times gazed into a a, a clear night sky and just been absolutely mesmerized, awestruck at the vastness of the heavens. And you can imagine, perhaps, Israel's shepherd king, David, remembering countless clear nights when he would have been, you know, on his back looking up into the sky as he was tending daddy's sheep around Bethlehem and just being absolutely spellbound, just just awestruck with the, the vastness of the heavens, but also the, the smallness of himself. And I didn't even know this at first, but Michelle let me know that in that picture, there's a little dude there in the, in the, in the mountains. And, and, and what, a, what a wonderful you know, thing it is that it sort, sort of captures the idea here that in light of all that you see, you're, you're just not that big a deal. <laughs> and, and neither am I, right? So be encouraged. This, this is God's gracious message to us, though, in creation. Creation declares to us the greatness of the one who made it all and who sustains it all. That, that's why this creation psalm, as, as it's often called, exalts our creator with its opening words, but also its closing words. Those two verses, one and nine, sort of function as bookends. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Oh, Yahweh, the, the, the one true God. Remember, there's not many gods. There's one God, the eternal one, the self-existent one. Oh, Lord, our God, our Adonai, the, the, the one true God who has claimed a people for himself and given them his name that they might be his people. He has condescended to be the benevolent master of his people. 
How excellent is your name, sings David to God. How excellent is your name in all the earth. No matter where you go on planet earth, people everywhere see the greatness of God. It it doesn't matter if you're in Spain. It doesn't matter if you're in Idaho, India, China. You get the idea. And and people beholding creation cannot, cannot help but feel within themselves there is a maker. There is a creator who is far above all that is seen and experienced by people. Whether, whether you stare at the night sky or you, how many of you do this? You stand at the, uh, the, the, the shore of the ocean, right? And you just kind of get lost really in the, in the vastness of it all. And you, and you realize as you take it all in that something, actually scratch that, someone who is infinitely greater still has created this and is keeping the whole thing going. How excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens, David sings. The name of God is his very essence, his very being. He's indescribable and so you cannot marvel at creation without marveling far more so at the God whose name is far above creation. And that is the, one of the great blessings, is not the only one, but one of the great blessings of, of natural revelation. What can be seen and heard and smelled and touched and, and experienced through creation is that it declares the greatness of God to us. The parents, your grandparents, think of this, an amazing teaching opportunity just to live with your eyes open. Right? Paul says this to the Romans. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So when you speak to other people about God, do you speak to other people about God? Do you speak to people outside the walls of a church building about God? We're meant to. And and when you do so, do so with tremendous confidence, not in yourself, but in God, who has been preaching to that person every day of their lives, if they've lived with their senses active at all. Look around you. I am, God says. I am here. And I am above all things. Now, natural revelation, what I'm describing, um, is not enough to save a person. But it is enough, the scripture says, to condemn a person. There's no such person on planet Earth who didn't get the memo that God is and that he's awesome. But I want us to notice in this psalm, that the psalm of praise to our creator bookended as it is with praise to God's excellence, his majesty, is nonetheless about mankind. Did you notice that? It's about people. Verse three and verse four, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? So here is a psalm a praise psalm, a creation psalm, 
And it's to do with man, yet it begins and ends with praise toward God. Now, this is big crayon stuff here, but I picked up on it, right? So that's, that's what I specialize in. Um, th- that alone is instructive to us. You, if you are to find your place in this world, if you are to, you know, small as you are, if you're, if you're to find your relative significance and purpose, you must begin with God, not with yourself. You must begin with God. You, you will never rightly understand you, <laughs> let alone rightly respond to other people, unless you begin with God and, and, and you see yourself and others as God's handiwork. And God makes this crystal clear to us in the creation account of Genesis 1. You know how this goes, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke each of the six days of, of, of creation. And God, you know, he said, let there be, and it was so. It's repeated over and over again just by the power of the word of God. Stars, planets, all the stuff that grows, all the stuff that breathes. God said, let there be, and it was so. But then on that last day, we read of God making man and giving to mankind a a, a dignity that is utterly unlike anything else in creation. So David sings of man's dignity. And it is a God-given dignity. Then God said, says Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all active in creation, crowning creation itself with mankind, listen, as God's appointed image bearer. Nothing else in creation is this way by God's design. There there is no such person on this planet who is not an image bearer of God. So God has given man dignity, the the dignity of relationship with him and and the dignity of reflecting his image. And and, and to be sure, this is a, um, a derivative dignity. In other words, it's not native to Mankind, it's, it's kind of like the, the moon reflecting the brightness of the sun, that sort of thing. The, the purpose and value of, of any person in this room right now ultimately is found in God. We speak and we feel and we interact with God like no other part of his creation. And, and more so, we can actually know God, not just know that he is, not just know what he's done in creation, but we can know him. You, you can imitate or reflect his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his love, his grace. And so David sings of, the, of this incredible design of God and creating man for relationship, and creating man to be his image bearer 
in creation. Look at verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. This is mankind that the Bible speaks of. How different that is from the worldly construct that says man is just some higher order of animal. And if you go way back billions billions and billions of years, uh, there's something that sort of finally figured out how to live out of the primordial ooze, and and it jumped to life. And then over time, it it became another creature that became another creature that became a man. And and that that is just stupid. I mean, it it, it just defies the intellect even, doesn't it? God preaching in creation, I am. And so David is saying, look, human beings small as we are, are nonetheless the very crown of God's creation. And we need to think about that the next time we sense um, hatred toward another person. Can we go there? We have to because I told the people in the first service that it was you guys that really were, were to deal with this, and so you're stuck. <laughs> I, I kind of got tongue-tied in the first service, and ne- next week we'll, 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 of course, blame it all on them. But, but think, think about the next time we feel hatred in our heart for the person who belongs to that other party. The person who has that sin, you know, the real bad one. As, a, as, a, as opposed to your not-so-bad one. The, per, the person who looks like that, instead of like you, is an image-bearer of God. And to direct all of that toward another person is to direct all of that toward the very image of God in that person. It sounds kind of serious, doesn't it? I think it is. I think it is. Why do God's people living biblically oppose things like abortion and racism and prejudice in all of its forms and all, you know, that sort of thing? Um, Gossip and slander? Do you realize James 3 tells us that gossip and slander are an attack on the image of God in man? Wow. And all of this relates to man's dignity. But, but there's more in this wonderful song. David sings of man's dominion. Man's dominion. Look at verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. This psalm restates the glorious purposes for which man has been created. Man was created to rule over creation for God's glory. What an astounding stewardship this is. I mean, what an amazing responsibility this is. And how far is the gap between design and what we see happening in the world around us today. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. 
Genesis 1.26 makes this role of man really clear, though. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God has given man not only dignity as his image bearer, but dominion as one is to rule in subordination to his kingship. The life and work of man is meant to bring glory to God. So I ask you, is that your deal? Is is that my deal? My life and work is only to do with the glory of God? I want to just read a little snippet from a book called The Epic of Eden. Is by a woman named Sandra Richter. And I don't have this up on the screen because I didn't want you to hurt yourselves trying to write this down. So just listen to this. This was Adam and Eve's perfect world. Not just fruit and fig leaves, but an entire race of people stretching their cognitive and creative powers to the limit to build a society of balance and justice and joy. Here the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve would learn life at the feet of the Father build their city in the shadow of the Almighty, create and design and expand within the protective confines of his kingdom. The blessing of this gift, a civilization without greed, malice or envy, progress without pollution, expansion without extinction. Can you imagine it? Now just think of that. Can you imagine it? And you would have to say, Uh, As we read Psalm 8 and its joyful description of God's glory and and his purpose in creating man, um, as we look at the world around us today, no. No, we cannot imagine that. In fact, we've never experienced that, have we? We cannot imagine a civilization without greed or hatred. Can we imagine a church without greed or hatred. We we, we can't imagine a world without pollution or perversion. Can, Can we imagine an assembly of God's people on a Sunday morning, all dressed up and showered as we are, completely without pollution, moral pollution, perversion, Well, why is that? Well, it's to do with man's depravity, isn't it? Adam and Eve's disobedience reproduced in the disobedience of all people. Your sin, my sin, has distorted the image of God in man. Man's dignity and dominion are distorted by sin. Listen to Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. In other words, that's not just true about mankind in general, it's true about you. And it's true about me. You have an inherent dignity from God himself. 
You have a life and work given to you from God himself. And sin in you and around you in this world distorts both. Made to serve God. By nature, we serve ourselves, don't we? And because of man's depravity, do you realize the scripture says that all of creation groans under this curse? It's not just to do with people. There's a sense in which the most beautiful things we see on planet Earth, God could say, you sh- wait till you see it. Wait till you see what's coming. Man's depravity has made it so creation is not now in submission. It's in chaos. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I don't mean that all things are not in submission to God. I just mean the things that you and I call natural disasters in light of Genesis 1 aren't really natural at all. And, and you've got to wonder, after you read Psalm 8 then, and if you think deep thoughts at all, why is it so joyful? I mean, it's, it's an astounding anthem of praise to God and the work of God in creating man. I mean, shouldn't this be a sad song about what once was and isn't any longer? Or, or about what might have been? And I think most country western songs basically have that formula, don't they? Yeah, I got a truck, I got a dog, I got a girl. And the truck won't start, and the, the dog won't bark, and, and the girl has le- left. It. That's the song, right? <laughs> That's not David's song. And he lives with his eyes open. He sees what's happening in the world around him. So, so what is the deal with this song? This song of, of praise. Well, I, 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 you noticed, I trust, that this little series that we're starting today is called Christ in the Psalms. And I asked you in, in last week's pastorgram, and there's one person who actually read it last week in the, from the first service. I'm hoping for double that in this service. Um, those of you who read it, I asked you the question, what verse reminds you of Jesus in this psalm? So, so let's, let's just deal with that right now. What'd you come up with? Did anybody actually do that? Bless you, Jan. What did you come up with? I don't even care what your answer is. What did you come up with? Go. Here's the thing. I made it really easy on you because you, you couldn't pick a wrong verse. You couldn't pick a wrong verse. If you said verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, you, you all would be right. Okay. And Jan, surely you remember one of those that you picked. But look, look at verse 2 for a moment. Because we begin to see that all of the stuff that is between these two bookends, verse 1 and verse 9, is to do with man. But really, a specific man. The son of man. Verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Now that's a difficult verse to be sure. 
So we'll just go from general to specific. In general, the person who opposes God, who denies the power of God, is shouted down simply by the miracle of a tiny baby. You ever think about that? The wonder of a newborn? And I'm mentioning this primarily because, you know, the scripture says that, that each boy and girl comes into this world having been fearfully and wonderfully made by God, knit together miraculously in her mother's womb. Why do I say her? Because we have a granddaughter who was born Thursday. I see, I see how I worked that in. I'm, I'm, I'm as shocked as you are that it fits so perfectly, but she's called Poppy. And I was holding little Poppy on Saturday, I think it was, or Friday maybe, and um, how could you honestly think that that just happened? The miracle of life. I mean, it, it just defies the intellect to suggest anything other than there is a creator. But, but you know, in verse 2... There's a reason it sounds so familiar to you. It's because it was quoted by Jesus uh, a week before, uh, well, a few days before he went to the cross, the day we call Palm Sunday. Remember, Jesus went into the temple and and he cleaned out all of the money changers and and the, the profiteers and the lame were brought to him and he healed them. Jesus reflected the holy image of God in man. And he reflected the loving care of God for his world and his people. And and the the, the religious leaders of Jesus, they hated that, the perfection of Christ. And and, and they hated the people who worshipped Christ rightly. And the, the scripture says, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? In other words, haven't you learned religious folk who think you know everything? Haven't you actually read Psalm 8? Because it's right there in your Bible, see. There there is Christ in the Psalms. And and what if Jan had actually chosen verse four? Um, (laughs) Look look at verse four. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him, sings David. Son of man, Ben-Adam simply means mankind. But as many of you know, son of man was Jesus' favorite self-designation. This is how he most frequently referred to himself, the son of man. Why? Because Jesus is God who has visited us in humanity, isn't he? Yahweh the one true God, our master, the God who has called a people unto himself, has visited us personally in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son, the eternal agent of creation who who made and sustains all things, has stepped out of eternity into time 
He, he stepped out of infinity into a frail human body to be everything the first Adam failed to be. And listen, to be everything you have failed to be. To be everything I am yet failing to be according to God's design. And what about dominion? That's just Christ reflecting the dignity of humanity. What about dominion? Well, you read in the Gospels, do you not, of Jesus um, saying to a stormy sea, be still, and it obeys. Jesus exerting his dominion over creation. He is God. Become man to exercise this dominion over creation for the glory of God. And, and you know, if you read in Hebrews 2, as was suggested, you saw that the writer of Hebrews has a commentary, so to speak, on Psalm 8. What, what is it all about? Listen to Hebrews 2.6. But one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. What, what, what is that saying? Well, that, that's kind of the conundrum of Psalm 8, isn't it? Man's great purpose of dignity and dominion doesn't seem to be happening when we look at humanity today. Whether it was Adam's day after the fall, whether it was in David's day or in our day. And the writer of Hebrews actually acknowledges this. Listen to, to what Hebrews 2.8 says. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, under man. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. There is Psalm 8, 5 and 6. We, we don't see man's dignity and dominion restored just yet throughout the world, do we? But we see Jesus. And we see Jesus' people, don't we? His church. We see it in Christ, the Son of Man, who though he is God, was born into humanity a little lower than the angels for just a moment in time from man's perspective. For what purpose? Well, to deal with man's depravity. And here's the thing, friend, to deal with your depravity, to deal with my depravity. He came for man's deliverance deliverance. Have you been delivered by this Jesus? You, you have a sense of what that is? I really believe the superscription of this psalm is helpful. You notice that we read it at the onset. Turns out you're supposed to read it when you read the psalms. It's not filler, right? It says, to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. What, what's the instrument of Gath? Well, some of your Bibles say um, gitith, sort of a, a harpy, guitar-y thing, an instrument from a place called gath. Well, what, what's the deal with gath? 
Well, well, there was a really big fellow named Goliath from Gath, wasn't there? And, and who knows if David is thinking of this um, it, it, as he uh, writes this song under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We don't know that. But what we do know uh, is that a small, insignificant shepherd boy came and, and became the champion of God's people in destroying their great enemy. Now just think of that. And here David's song, Psalm 8, is prophetic of the greater David, the son of man, who would come to be the champion of God's people in destroying our greatest enemy, sin itself, and sin's death itself. And here is man's deliverance. But we do not see yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus. So I ask you this morning, do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus? Because to know Christ is to know God. You cannot know him just from looking at the sky. You cannot know him just from standing at the ocean shore. You must know him through Christ, the Son of Man. Do you see Jesus? Do you see in Jesus your creator far above all that you see in the heavens? Do, do you see in Jesus for a moment in time made a little lower than the angels? All for you. God become man, small as man, weak and insignificant in the eyes of man. Why? Because he's mindful of you. Because he cares for you. You see the beauty of his dignity. The, the, the beauty of his perfection. His righteousness lived for you. So no, you, you don't look at the wide world today and see all things under the dominion of man. But you see the man Jesus, don't you? Through eyes of faith. Mindful and caring about the hell that people face apart from him. It doesn't get any more serious than this. Do you see Jesus crucified for the sins of his people so that sin can be forgiven? What sin? All sin. Your sin, mine. Do you see Jesus dead and buried placed in a tomb? And, and do you see through eyes of faith the, the wonder of his dominion not only over life but over death itself? Death could not contain him, amen? He rose again and he's alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father, a man who is God, ruling over all things. You see, the writer of Hebrews again and again and again goes back to the Psalms, goes back to the Old Testament, all of it speaking to us of the glory of Christ. So today, we can read Psalm 8 in all of its fullness, that all of the, the depth of its meaning in Christ. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God 
might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do do you see Jesus this way? God who condescends to let you call him, know him as brother, a savior who died for you, a savior who rose again for you and promises you now a share in his victory. And we'll end with that quite shortly. We'll end with that. No, I mean it. We'll, we'll end shortly with that. Man's destiny. I beg you to hear this. Because you have an eternal destiny. You say, well, I just came here with a friend and I'm, I'm really, I'm really not much to do with the Bible and such and so you must not be talking to me. No, I'm speaking directly to you, friend. You have an eternal destiny. You will live into eternity. Every person in this room will live into eternity. And it's this Jesus who is the door that determines whether your eternity is spent in the presence of God with his people in a new heaven and a new earth or in hell where only wrath is experienced by you forever. You see, Christ, the Son of Man, fulfills Psalm 8 as Adam did not. And he fulfills Psalm 8 as David did not. And he fulfills Psalm 8 as you do not. And I do not. In Christ, man's dignity is restored. We're being sanctified, says the writer of Hebrews. Those of us who belong to him by faith, indwelt by his spirit, we are being conformed more and more to the image of Christ right now. Amen? Amen. You see, God's design for people to be his image bearers is fulfilled in Christ. And in Christ, man's dominion is restored. We, we can live now and work now to the glory of God. We, we don't have to serve ourselves. We can live for God. And so the Apostle Paul actually quotes from Psalm 8 as he describes this great recreative work of God. He says to the Corinthians, then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he, Jesus, must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. That's, that's Psalm 8 in verse 6, isn't it? It turns out the whole thing is about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And Christ's rule is to be shared with all who belong to him. You see, when when you and I think of eternity, we we often think um, too small of thoughts. How could we not? 
obviously all of us do. But we also have this tendency to think in caricatures, don't you think? I mean, we think of, you know, we're going to just be floating around um, with, with these Giddeth type things, these guitar-y, harpy things and, from Gath. And it'll, it'll just be a really long church service. And, and I know in my, in my younger years, in my imagination, there were always grapes, really big grapes and stuff. And, and that, that, is, that is a cartoonish understanding of what God promises to his people. God's redeemed people will rule with Christ, will exercise dominion under the kingship of Christ in a new heavens and a new earth, all for the glory of God. This is our future. We who belong to the king now, liberated to live as we were created to live in the first place. Romans 8.21 says this, the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. How can you not marvel then that God has been so mindful of man, that, that God has been so mindful of man as to free us through the work of Christ to such an eternity? And how can we not say, even sing as David did, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this precious song, a song of our Savior and his work for us. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us that there is a glorious purpose in every person in this room from you. It's all subordinate to you and by your design. And you've reminded us, Lord, not only of what sin has done to that purpose, but, Lord, what our great Savior Jesus has done in conquering sin. And I pray, Lord, that as you have been lifted up that you would draw hearts to yourself, that your kingdom would grow in this place among us. And Lord, that in the strength of your spirit, Lord, your people would live to your glory right now, that, that we would be your image bearers in Hayden, Idaho. Lord, that the, the lives and work that we do would be to your glory for your namesake. And help us to live, Lord, in light of this glorious future that you've promised to us and made possible to us in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.